you that so, you don't need an explanation of the word selvage. You already know what that means, right? Selvage. It's, it's that outmost, outmost edge portion of a, of a garment, selvage. All right, well, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 10. We'll begin our reading in verse 27. The only reason I bring that up is because I have to look it up. I'm not conversant in sewing language. And I hope that uh, would encourage us all, right, when we come to something in Scripture that we don't understand, like, a, like we're going to hear in a, in a couple of weeks about a habersham. What's a habersham? Hmm, interesting. Well, we'll leave that till then. Maybe you'll look it up between now and then. Or maybe you already know. Hmm, these are good things. So, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. But the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Hear the Reverend Charles Bridges. Thus was the way of the Lord's strength to the upright Nicodemus. His first step was feebleness and fear. Walking onwards, he waxed stronger. Standing up in the ungodly council and ultimate, uh, the bold confessor of his Savior, when his self-confident disciples shrunk back. Innate sufficiency, we have none. The strongest in their own strength shall faint and be weary. The weakest in the Lord's strength shall march on and not faint. Thus, thus alone, the righteous shall hold on their way, going from strength to strength. Strengthened in the Lord, and walking up and down in his name. When we look at our own resources, we might as well despair of moving sin out from our hearts, as of casting down the mountains with our fingers. Yet, who of us need to shrink from the confession, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Well, it's very well said, isn't it? So we have looked uh, formally at longevity and being taken away early from the perspective of the fifth commandment and obedience to authority. That's where we were last week. We saw how some taken away early uh, for their disobedience. Some are taken away early for their disobedience and the just recompense for their rebellion. We reviewed what it means to live the abundant life with the gifts the Lord has given to us and were encouraged to turn away from the things of this world and the enemy of our souls who would have us to crave instead uh, uh, things of this world to live an imbalanced and discontented and disoriented life rather than embracing the lot of our inheritance, which the psalmist says, I have a goodly heritage, right? 
then we reminded ourselves with the psalmist uh, that that goodly heritage is in the Lord. Uh, we looked at why it's uh, seeming upright folks are taken away early. And Isaiah will tell us that it's because the Lord would spare them from things coming in the world. And, the, and so even when we see the righteous taken away early, as we will say in our larger catechism, that it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from all sin and misery. To give them that greater uh, ability to commune with Christ, which they enter into in their glory. So there are many wonderful things to think on there. Uh, we want to remember the Danites in Judges chapter 18. Remember what they did? The Danites were unique among the tribes of Israel in two accounts. The first account is that their, uh, their inheritance was actually not in the north. When we say in the Old Testament, from Dan to Beersheba, what do we mean? From the north to the south. Okay? Um, but that's not where Dan's inheritance originally was. Dan's inheritance originally was in the west near the seacoast over by Naphtali. But they went over there and they found that the, uh, that the Canaanites that dwelt in that portion of the land were just too strong for them. They didn't really like that inheritance. It was too much work. They didn't really trust that the Lord would cast out the Canaanites before them. And so what they did was they left that inheritance. And in Judges chapter 18, we read that they sought out a new inheritance of their own. And they found way in the north uh, a land that was called Laish. And the reason it was called Laish was because the people that were there were layabouts. Not really. But they were in that they didn't have a civil magistrate. Nobody ever, ever restrained anybody from doing anything or encouraged them to do anything at all. They were a people careless, it says, that they dwelt carelessly without civil magistracy. And so the people of Dan went up there because they had no civil magistrate and no organizing principle to their defense. Dan went up there with six or 700 men and took the entire place. And remember, at that time also they stole out the Levite from Micah's house, the Morthshite, and uh, they took him and they said, would you rather be a Levite to a house or would you rather be a Levite to a whole tribe? Come on. You want a mega church or a little church? Right? Well, we know what happened. So Dan was not content with their inheritance and they sought out another inheritance instead. I said they were unique in two ways. What's the second way that they're unique? In Revelation chapter 7, in the listing of the 144,000 uh, that are set for the elect, given uh, under terms of Jewish understanding, guess what? The tribe of Dan is not mentioned. No Danites in the 144,000. What would we expect for a people not content with the inheritance that God gave them? Let us remember, beloved, with the psalmist, that we have a goodly heritage in Christ. Then the other thing I wanted to mention here is we looked at larger catechism 83. We spoke of the expectation of the righteous, the first fruits of glory with Christ in this abundant life, which we enjoy now. Assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, hope of glory, and beloved with these, any earthly trial is small by comparison, and any earthly blessing does not compare. Okay, so that's 
what we said last week. And then finally, last week also, we looked at the expectation of the wicked from three passages, the Tower of Babel, the Fool of Luke 12, and then the psalmist uh, writes of the man in Psalm 49 who trusts in his riches. And these are fool's expectations, and they will come to nothing. Moving ahead then, we have this encouraging word from Solomon. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright. Literally, a fortress to the upright is the way of Jehovah. A fortress to the upright is the way of Jehovah. What is the way of Jehovah then? If that's a fortress to the upright, a fortress to the tamim or the tom, as it's put here in Proverbs. Uh, What is it then that we want to understand about this way of the Lord? What is the way of Jehovah? It is to believe and to do all that he has revealed. It is to follow him, right? It is not just what one mentally has received by faith, believing whatsoever the Lord has said in his word, although this is an important part of what that means. But beloved, we cannot content ourselves with the thought paradigms and theories of this world, the vain philosophies of fallen human reasoning, that's not the way of the Lord. And so first we must get in our minds what God has said and let that color inform, form, set boundaries to our conception of what is truly real. What is real? What is true? Remember the old songster, he said, this is what's real, this is what's true, and what was it? What was it? Well, it was about a failed love. Well, that's not real and that's not true. What's real and what's true, beloved? The Word of God. What God has told us. What God has preserved for us. That's real. That's true. That's the way of the Lord. And so we must, whenever we see those those thought paradigms, those vain philosophies of the world rising up in our own thoughts, we must, as we said earlier today, Tear them down and cast them into the, book Kidron, into the brook Kidron. That's where they belong. Grind them to powder. Throw them in the, in the brook Kidron and watch them flow away with the creek. Watch the water take them away. Um, the things which are real are things that cannot be seen. They are what God has revealed to his people. Sin, guilt, wrath, its consequences, righteousness, peace, joy, faith, truth. These are the things that are real. This world and, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of things going on today, you know, doubting the reality of this world. Are we living in a matrix or are we living in a matrix within a matrix? People are saying, right? Is that what we're talking about here? Obviously, there is, there, this world is that which God has created But it is not that which is lasting in the sense that the truth that we read in Scripture never changes. Thy word forever, O Lord, is settled in heaven. And so when we talk about the way of the Lord, it must be that which is founded upon his word. We note also that we come into this world without that conception. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. The end thereof, finish the quotation, are the ways of death. Right? The ends thereof are the ways of death. Uh, Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. Not just one time that's spoken in Scripture, but twice. 
There are things that seem right to us. But the Apostle Paul will teach us to turn away from those things which seem right to us, those ways which seem right to us. Note with me 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sermon series, oh, a little while back, maybe a year and a half, two years, I don't know. I lose track, but um, we, we talked about seeing that which is unseen. You remember that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is one of the, those main passages for that. So remember how Paul starts that discussion, that this treasure that, he, that he's talking about, the, the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the gospel, and the offer of the gospel, he will say we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This is the preacher's final sermon, isn't it? Right? It's always the preacher's final sermon. His final sermon is not one that he delivers in the pulpit, but when he passes from this earthly scene into glory, that the treasure that he had was indeed in an earthen vessel, that the power of God might be... Um, might be... Uh, might, or sorry, that the power might be of God and not of us. That's the final sermon. I, th- that's what I had to, I had privilege to talk about at Dr. Ken's funeral, Dr. Ken's memorial service. They asked me to preach and I, I said, are, are we ready to hear his last sermon? His last sermon is that the power is not in Ken, nor in Todd, nor in anyone. It's God's power. And that final sermon that we preach is a, is a nail, right? A period at the end of that sermon where we remember that it's not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. So Paul will go on then in verse 8 to show the weakness of that earthen vessel, persecuted, troubled, always bearing about the body, in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why would you pursue them? Why would the ministry in the first century fraught with such persecution be something that someone would pursue in in that day? What are you seeing, Paul, that we don't see? And that's the point, isn't it? He will see the way of the Lord, that which is not seen. And so notice what he says then a little bit later on in that chapter. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the way of the Lord, beloved. It is the way of the Lord to walk by faith and not by sight, which is what the apostle will say in the next chapter, just seven verses down. We walk by faith and not by sight. We follow the Lord, faithfully hearing his word. Our steps are ordered by his word. This is the way of the Lord. To the world, it appears as foolishness. To the world, it appears as, Paul, why would you pursue a calling like that that is fraught with so much danger and heartache? 
Why would you endure the pressing, the, ang- the anxious pressing of all of the care of the churches on you as a, as a weight upon your shoulders, Paul, when you could just as easily be free and make tents? Why? Because he sees that which is unseen. And beloved, we must do the same. Our callings, whatever they are, they, they, they may not be a ministerial calling, but it is a calling nonetheless. And a lawful calling that can be done to the glory of God and ordered by that which is not seen. That's the way of the Lord. This is what Solomon describes and we will see in a moment that it is a bulwark, a tower, a fortress, a place of safety to the upright. That dangerous walking is sight walking. And secure walking is faithful walking. That's the point that Solomon is making, I believe, in Proverbs 10. So, again, we say that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. And I want to show you an example of that. I want to show you one of what I think is the primary scriptural example of that. We'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 42. We're not going to read any particular passage or length of, of uh, verses in this section because really the argument is spread out over 42, 43, and 44, all three of those chapters. So it will be our plan to read short portions and then to bring some, some explanation and understanding. So in the first of this unpacking of the way of sight, not faith, the way not of, of uh, perseverance and the way of safety and security in the ways of God, but the way of apostasy instead. This comes out with a profession here in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 42. Verse 1. Then all the captains of the forces and Johanan, the son of Kareah, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest came nearer and said unto Jeremiah the prophet let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee and pray for us unto the Lord thy God even for all this remnant for we are left but a few of many as thine eyes do behold us that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do you hear what they're asking They're asking for the way of the Lord. That's what they say. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Pretty good. Quite a confession. And they seal it with an oath. Right? Whatever you tell us, Jeremiah, from the mouth of God, we're going to do. All right, so then we, we won't take the time to read through uh, 7 through 22, 
But there is an answer that comes to them. Notice in 7 it says it came to pass after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So 10 days later they get their answer. And the answer is summed up in these five points. The first point is remain in the land. Stay here in Jerusalem. Go out and don't fear the king of Babylon. Rather, go out and be taken captive by him. That's number two. Number three, do not say to yourselves, we will go to Egypt. Number four, if you go to Egypt, you will die there and Nebuchadnezzar will be the one that puts you to the sword there. In other words, you think to escape Nebuchadnezzar by going to Egypt, he will come there after you. And then number five, you have dissembled. You pretended in your hearts when you came to Jeremiah and asking for a sincere enumerating of the way of the Lord. You already had in your mind what you wanted to do ahead of time. You had a way that seemed right unto you. So they respond then in chapter 43. Notice in, in verse 1. And it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for the which the Lord their God had sent them, sent him to them, even all these words. Then spake Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Yohanan, uh, the son of Kareah, and all the proud men, saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. So they reject the word that the Lord has sent to them through the prophet Jeremiah. The word that they asked for and the word that Jeremiah told them they were dissembling when they asked for. All of their sins were called out. They had a way that seemed right unto them. It was not the way of the Lord And it will not prosper, Jeremiah says. So then in, uh, oh, and they, verse 3, they also blame Baruch. That's one of the things that they do. For Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us for for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they might put us to death and carry us away captive into Babylon. So then, what, what do they do? They pack everybody up and they head to Egypt. Johanan, the son of Kareah, this other guy, Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, all of the nobles that are left. They pack up Jeremiah, they pack up Baruch, they pack up everybody that's left, and they steal out by night and begin to travel toward Egypt. And they get most of the way there to Tophanes in verse 8, and the Lord sends a sign through Jeremiah in verse 8, that they will indeed be killed there in Egypt, as God has already said. Keep in mind that they originally came to Jeremiah and said, what is the way of the Lord? But they dissembled. They had a way already in their minds that they wanted to follow. And beloved, let us recognize every instance where that same sin rises up in our own hearts that we may grind it to powder and cast it in the brook Kidron. There are times where either we go to the Lord asking for direction or we don't even go and ask direction. You'll remember in the days of Joshua, 
that they are, uh, well, this is long about chapters 7 and 8. They are having a fairly successful campaign, right? Uh, Jericho has fallen. Ai has fallen. The, the Gibeonites take a look at that and they say, we need to go and uh, disguise ourselves and make a league with these guys lest we also be killed. And so what do they do? They put on uh, their oldest clothes and shoes with holes and they put moldy bread in their bags and all of that. And they come to Joshua and they say, we've been on a far, far journey. And whoever wrote it, whether it's Joshua or someone else, the prophet that wrote that chapter is very careful to say, and they inquired not of the word of the Lord. All the way up to that point, we're looking at, at Joshua. He's inquiring of the word of the Lord. Inquire, inquire, inquire. And he doesn't there, and they make a league with the Canaanites that they said they would never make a league with that God had commanded them not to. So sometimes, beloved, our sin is that we don't inquire of the Lord when we should. Or other times, our sin is we come to the Lord with pious-sounding words like Yohanan and Azariah, and yet we already have our way designated. These things we must not do. We must give ourselves to the study of the Word of God, seek wise counsel from our wise Christian friends, and make a decision based on the way of the Lord. Okay, so now we come to, uh, well, in 8 through uh, 13 of chapter 43, we have this object lesson where uh, Jeremiah tells the people of God that, that God's going to kindle a fire in Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar's coming. And all they've done now is they've painted a target on Egypt as well as their own city. Now we come to chapter 44. Chapter 44, 1 through 14, another word of the Lord. And again, we will summarize it. The Lord reminds them through the mouth of Jeremiah all of the evil that he has brought upon Jerusalem for her wickedness. He shows, the Lord himself shows himself guiltless in that he sent prophets warning them, but that they did not listen. He, he, uh, he poured out his anger, and now he says, you are provoking me again. You're provoking me again in that you've gone down to Egypt. You've disobeyed my voice. You're provoking me again. I've already poured out my fury on Jerusalem, and now I'm getting ready to pour out my fury upon Egypt. Remember that this is a mercy. God tells them before it happens that they might yet repent. What is the way of the Lord here? It is to repent and go back to Jerusalem. Will they? No, because they have another way instead. They have not humbled themselves to obey the voice of the Lord. And then verse 11, therefore, new judgments are coming all the way to Egypt. And we see the summary of that in verse 14, where we read, so that none of the remnant of Judah, which are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there, shall escape or remain, that they should return to the land of Judah, to the which they have a desire to return to dwell there. For none shall return, uh, but such as shall escape. <clears throat> now verse 15. And we see in spades this folly of turning away from the Lord and trusting in our own way. Listen to what it says. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt, and Pothros answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. 
But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her or pour out our drink offerings unto her without our men? That's high treason, isn't it? Against the Lord. But notice, it is the way that seemed right unto them. It was the way that they sought to follow. And they had reasons, didn't they? Our kings, our princes, our nobles, they've done the same thing. We're in good company. When we burned incense to the queen of heaven, we had plenty. Now we have nothing. So we're going to... We're going to um, imbibe in the temporal fallacy this happened and then that happened and so this caused that right they did not know and Jeremiah will go on to explain to them that the Lord did not bring those judgments on you while you were burning incense to the queen of heaven that he might draw you into repentance instead but you would not but you hardened your hearts and so Then the Lord poured out those judgments for sins committed back then. And now, even now, you refuse to hear. This is that same kind of faulty reasoning that we see in Isaiah chapter 44, isn't it? Verse 13, the carpenter stretcheth out his rule. He marketh it out with a line, he he fitteth it with planes, and marketh it out with the compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He heweth him down cedars, and taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take thereof and warm himself, yea, he kindleth it, yea, he baketh bread, and he maketh a god, he worshipeth it, and maketh it a graven image, and he falleth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire, with part he eateth flesh, he roasteth roast, and is satisfied, yea, he warmeth himself, and saith, aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a god, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it and worshipeth it and prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for he has shut their eyes that they cannot see in their hearts that they cannot understand. And none considereth in, her, in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, quote, I have burned part of it in the fire, yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. Shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stalk of a tree? He feedeth on ashes. 
a deceived heart hath turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Beloved, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the way thereof is the way of death. In contrast to that, let's look at Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> Before we turn there, I'm, you, y'all go ahead and turn there. I'm going to turn to Jer- uh, Jeremiah chapter 5 for a moment and read a quick passage. <clears throat> Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that execute judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me unto the great men, and I will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord, and the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke, and burst the bonds. Wherefore, a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evenings shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Every one that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces, Because their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. How shall I pardon for this? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by by troops in the harlot's houses. They were as fed horses in the morning, everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged? On such a nation as this. And I want to put this back into our original context. From Proverbs 10.29. There are lions in this way. There are leopards in this way. There is judgment in this way. Because the way that seems right to a man. Is no fortress. It is not a fortress. It is the way of danger. It is the way of death. Now we turn to Genesis 18. A most encouraging passage from Genesis chapter 18. Verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. If the way that seems right to a man is fraught with lions with tigers and lions and bears, oh my. The way of the Lord is full of safety and blessing. It is a tower. It is a bulwark. It is a fortress to those who go in thereat. And so what does he say? 
The Lord says here, I know him or I have known him. That he will command his children and his household after him. That they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. May I take the end of that verse first in unpacking it? What is held in suspension here? What is the thing that is put before us? The very promise of the covenant. That in Abraham all of the families of the world shall be blessed. That's what the Lord holds out here. The end of the process, whatever that process is, whatever that way is, it is indeed the fulfillment of everything that God has spoken to Abraham, which is nothing short of the gospel, the coming of Christ, and the salvation of the, of the elect, may I say, the bringing many sons to glory. It's nothing short of that. What is the way to it? How do we get there from here? This is the next question we must ask. Because as we saw, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's fraught with lions and tigers and bears. Right? From Jeremiah chapter 5. What about this way here? Well, we learn a few things about this way, don't we? I know him. First of all, this way is replete with the knowledge of God. It is what God has revealed. When God says, I know Abraham, it is implied also, Abraham knows God. The Lord has been pleased to show to Abraham his greatness and his glory. To reveal and to preach the gospel to him. To reveal to him what the way of life is. He has separated him from Lot. He has separated him and protected him in the days of Amraphel and the... And the, uh, the um, the, uh, you know, and Tidal, king of nations, the, the war between the, the uh, kings. And Abraham went and rescued his nephew Lot with his 318 fighting men and the few others that he was in league with. Abraham went the way that God had sent him and he came back safe. Beloved, we go the way God sends us. We return safe. So I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. Notice when God promises to Abraham the salvation of the world, it doesn't take a lot by way of logic to understand this is a multi-generational exercise. The way of the Lord then here is going to reach through Abraham and his seed. Notice what it says here. Abraham is going to be faithful in that way as long as he is able. For the 175 years that Abraham lives, he's going to be faithful to his seed and to his seed's seed. To teach them the way of the Lord. To command them after him. Notice it's not uh, uh, right proper suggestions that he offers to his children. No, the Lord says he's going to command his children after him. And then notice that it is replete with justice and judgment. They shall keep the the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That is, that they will have that very word of justice among them. And they will be able rightly to discern that which is not in accord with that. And that which is in accord with that. Or, if I can put it in the language of our sermon today, they'll know the right way from the wrong way. They'll be a discerning people if their ears are open to the Lord and to hear him and to know him. And with all of that then, The Lord says, 
That is the way of salvation. That is the way of the Lord, not just for Abraham, but for the promise that God made to Abraham, which is that he would be the heir of the world, as Paul puts it. That his seed would inherit the gate of his enemies, and that seed is Christ. And so, beloved, when Solomon writes to us that the way of the Lord is a fortress to the upright, here's what we must understand from that. We must come to that same conclusion that when we walk in the ways of the Lord's revelation, what we ought to believe and what we ought to do, we run in a fortress. We are protected. We are encouraged. We are built up. We are given the safety that the Lord promises to those that follow Him. And if we follow our gut instead, and if we follow the way of this world, and if we listen to the vain philosophies of this world, and we buy into the garbage and the death notes that they're singing to these days, there's no safety in that. Oh, the Lord may, as Jude will write, snatch us out of the fire like he did Lot. Maybe. But there's no safety there, beloved. Where was Abraham when Lot was in danger? We know, don't we? He was up there in the plains of Mamre, safe and sound, praying for Lot and his safety, entertaining and communing with Jesus Christ his Lord, keeping the way of the Lord. So, beloved, let's, uh, let's turn back for a moment <clears throat> to Isaiah chapter 35. Verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter. It's very short. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, and the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap as an heart, the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out. And streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool. And the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons. Where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there. Think of Jeremiah 5. No lion shall be there. Nor any ravenous beast shall go thereupon. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. 
And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is remnant of of those three feasts. The end of this chapter here. It's remnant of those three feasts when the Lord promised what to them when they went the way of the Lord to go and worship him. Safety. Security. Not only for those who traveled but for their families back home on their farms. The Lord promised safety and security. So beloved, what I want to tell you by making a few applications here is that when we are in the way of the Lord, when we are walking in the way of the Lord, when we are following what he has set forth in his word by way of what we believe, casting ourselves upon Christ and what we do, uh, all of his commandments, when we put all of that together into this one thing that we call the way of the Lord, it is only there that there is safety. There are many, and our hearts go out to them because we understand our human weaknesses. Uh, We have, uh, as a session, grappled over the years with with many who would come and and worship with us but would not uh, would would say it was impossible for them to keep the Sabbath day can I join with you uh, but I'm going to have to work every Sunday well what kind of work do you do we'll inquire to see if it is a work of necessity or mercy if it is some emergency services work or some other thing and if it is not if it is simply the refusal to find another job, to give up some tenure or something like that, we will tell them, we can bring you into membership, but why would we do that immediately to begin a process of discipline with you? It is not the way of the Lord. And while you may think that it's safer to continue working on the Lord's day, it is not. That's the way where lions and bears are found. Now, we might talk about any particular thing with regard to that. We talked earlier today about false faiths and how those are not the ways of the Lord and there is no safety in them. We might talk about any sort of notorious and scandalous sin that someone would bring up and say, I am free, like the man in Deuteronomy says, I'm free to add drunkenness to thirst if I want. And we say, no, you're not. That's not the way of safety. You're doing your soul harm. We read earlier today, didn't we, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, about the man who was a busybody that would not work for his living. And what does the Apostle Paul say? If a man does not work, neither shall he eat. Don't eat with that man yet until he's put out of the church. Admonish him, warn him that that way is not safe. There is a way of safety, beloved. There is a way of blessing. There is a way that leads to life. The way of the Lord is indeed, indeed a fortress for the upright. That's the true way of safety. And if we give up that way for some temporal or earthly reward, then like Christ told his disciples concerning the Pharisees, we will have our reward in full. They prayed in front of the folks. They fasted and made their faces wan right and pale and they they gave their alms so as to be seen of men because they loved the reward of men and you know what they got that reward and that's all that's not the way of safety beloved 
The way of safety for your soul is when your wise Christian friend comes to you and says, Brother, sister, you need to be careful what you're doing here. You need to think on this way that you have established for your walking. What is the end of it? I know it seems right to you at this moment. But as we have seen in several instances in Scripture, those ways that seem right, although we may have our reasons, even Eve had her reasons, didn't she? Pleasant to the eyes, good for food, desirable to make one wise. Certainly it seemed right to her. Well, we know the temptations that are out there pertaining to that. How can it be wrong if it seems so right? It can because, beloved, there are times where we must not trust our eyes. We must trust what God has said. That's the way of safety. It's always going to be the way of safety. That's the fortress for the upright. Let's stand and call upon the Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come unto thee thankful for Solomon's setting things in their proper order that there's really only one way of safety or fortressing for the people of God. And that is to hear thee and to follow thee. It is that way of holiness. It is that way, that sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. That very close connection between Isaiah 35 and Hebrews 12. And so, Lord, we pray, deliver us from thinking with our eyes, from letting fallen human reason dictate to us what way we ought to travel. Help us, we pray, to keep our eyes fixed on the end of the road that we are truly on and profess to be on, that is, the way to Christ, who himself is the way. Deliver us then, Lord, we pray, from every false way, from trusting our senses, and then also turning aside from thy word. Help us not to be like Johanan and Azariah, who profess to desire to hear the word of the Lord and have no desire at all, because they've already heard their own word. O oh Lord, we confess that these dangers are our dangers. We are those subject to such deceptions, except thou shouldst rescue us, enlighten our eyes, open our understanding, and grant to us that way that we might walk in it. Help us to say, we will walk therein. In Christ Jesus' name we ask. Amen.